This is Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Joining us on the Nightlife News Breakdown is uh, the National Affairs Editor at 10 News First, Hugh Remington. Hugh, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Thank you so much, Phil. Great to have you with us. Look, the superannuation, this thing bubbles along, doesn't it? I mean, last week we talked a bit about it too. Uh, news talk last week dominated by talk about the future of the super system. This is after the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, announced a plan to legislate an objective for super. That then led to contemplation of cutting back on tax concessions for superannuation accounts of the so-called rich, which somehow distilled down to capping tax concessions for those with more than $3 million in their retirement savings, which would save the government potentially billions each year. Now, the opposition is demanding the Albanese government not use Australian superannuation as a piggy bank, their words, for pet projects. But many are thinking, yes, but I won't have $3 million in super. Why not cut the advantages for the wealthy? Hmm, the government did actually promise they wouldn't make any changes to super, so if they do, it'd be a broken promise. Mr Albanese saying, well, we're not necessarily going to make any changes either. Or big changes, I think was the word. You've been doing a few sums here. I've been doing some sums. In fact, I can start with this, the saving of billions of dollars. I would challenge that assumption because if it lands up being uh, a higher tax rate um, on money withdrawn from super with $3 million in the kitty, those people have got that. That is, you know, as the Treasurer says, about 1% of Australians at the moment. And that would bring in on the calculations that have been made available to us $1.7 billion. So, there's already a danger in the disconnect rhetorically between uh, the Treasurer saying that uh, the tax concessions bound up in super are now so valuable that they're the equivalent or thereabouts of the entire amount of money that's spent on aged care. Now, you know, that, that would be to suggest that they were to drop all tax concessions on well, super. Exactly. He's doing, he's doing a global thing. That, 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 that accounts for the whole of the tax concessions on super, doesn't it? That's right. Yes, and if you're only going to take it for free, you, you're not going to get anything like that money. So, that, you know, you're really getting useful money, $1.7 billion, always, always useful for the budget, but it's, uh, it's trifling uh, on its own in terms of, what has been stated, it'll it'll do for the for the budget bottom line, and so therefore you say, well, what's going to happen over time if you bring it in at three million? People will say that's a lot of money. No one needs that much. They certainly don't need tax breaks for it. You know, you're going to win a political argument on that. What concerns me about it is that when you set these things at a price, politicians are then loathe to index that up over time, mm-hmm. and because they're loath to give up the tax benefits that come from that, the revenue benefits well, they that come from that. That's right. I mean, someone said to me very long ago when I was started in this business, do not trust anything politicians say about taxation until they promise tax indexation, which, of course, they never have and mm. never will because tax indexation would keep them honest. It's easy money. So let's, let's do some sums and do a little bit of mind, mind games and mind maps on this. If you go, I'm thinking now of someone who's 30, because my view of this is that there are people in their 60s who are concerned about this just on, on principle for some of them because I wonder what's coming next. The people I'd be concerned about are the ones who are actually probably not very much engaged with this conversation at all, and that's people, say, in their late 20s or 30 years old because it's really going to affect them. And I'll give you just a few examples. If you go back 30 years to uh, 1993, the median Australian house price was $111,000. 
Now, if you said to someone in 1993, hey, this super thing's coming along, you could get $111,000 when you retire um, through the superannuation thing. Most people would say, cracker jack, that's beauty. You could buy a house with that, $111,000. Go forward 30 years if you're retiring on $111,000. You know that's getting you nowhere. So let's take that as an example and look forward. We don't have to go 30 years. Let's go to 2050. So if you take a 30-year-old today in 2050, they'll be 57. They're still a decade away from retiring. And then if you look at the projections based on the long-term average of house prices, and they may go higher than that and they may go lower, but the projections for 2050 is that if you look at the combined capital cities of Australia, so, so Sydney and Melbourne, much, much higher, it's $3.5 million for a median house projected in 2050. It's only 27 years away. Mm -hmm. Now, at that point, if you were to say $3 million in your super being the equivalent of the price, the median price of a house, it doesn't suddenly seem like a lot of money. But think of this. There's been a, a, a survey that's been done just over the weekend about young people, 18 to 34's expectations about whether they'll ever be able to buy a house. And an extraordinary number, 72% said they didn't believe they'd be able to buy a house. Now, let's say they're a bit pessimistic, and much more of those will. I think a lot of people feel is that a lot more people will not buy houses than was the case 30-odd years ago. So for those people who then come to their retirement age and they've never managed to buy a house, the super is going to matter to them more than ever. Let's go back to that combined capital average median house in 2050 3.58, let's call it $3.6 million. You then take the median rental yield, which is about 2.5%. You do the sums, 2.5% of $3.5 million comes down to 89 and a half, let's call it $90,000 a year. That's what an, someone owning that house expects as a yield to rent it out on their $3.5 million house is $90,000 a year in rent. That's $7,500 a month. So if you are retiring, if you're 30 or 40, and you're retiring in, in mid-century, and you haven't bought a house, and you're renting, you can expect to pay, just on the way in which numbers grow over time, $7,500 a month. Now, in order to service that, you're going to need a lot more super than people think is natural and normal now. And, and so what you'd want to say, plainly $3 million will not make you rich in super because it'll be less than the median price of a house. It'll be if you go back 30 years, it'd be like having super of $80,000. Mm. So this is the thing in which I think people are entitled to feel concerned when they tinker with super. There's an argument for doing it, but uh, and the treasurer is prosecuting that argument, but – People need to be aware of the consequences of there being a new structure around super, which is basically as a, as a source of revenue for governments, which they will be loath to give up. So um, that's the cautionary, hmm. the cautionary element of it. Well, this it. is the issue, isn't it? And that, that if, in a sense, you get, a, you get the sense that Labor would be quite keen to lock in this $3 million figure in a way because it seems out of reach for most people and therefore it's just rich people who'd be affected, they think. But as you say, uh, the way this goes, if they don't index it, which they won't, 
then it won't be that much into the future. That's the that's 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 what you're saying. But for the government, yes. but for the government, of course, it represents a real and growing source of income. Yeah, and that's what you need to watch because the treasurer is not going to all this bother and potential argument fights in the parliament for one point seven billion dollars a year right. because it's not in the end any kind of a game breaker in revenue. I would suggest, and I'd be I'm probably being a little unkind to the treasurer, but call me a cynic, I would suggest the purpose here is to establish a principle for higher levels of tax on your super um, that over time will start to become much more valuable to the bottom line and enable, uh, you know, the, the sustaining of expensive things. You know, we we as a population want expensive things. The NDIS, aged care improvements as we get older, broad health, uh, defence is going to be increasingly a draw on the budget. In fact, you know, phenomenally so, uh, as we go into nuclear subs and other things in a, in a nastier sort of regional environment. So there's a lot of things that we don't want to give up. And maybe the treasurer in the end is right, and maybe he'll prosecute this argument, and we'll all accept that this is a very smart thing to do. But you know, it's good for people to be forewarned. I think that's right. I think that I think that is uh, that is right. That the government is not going down this path, which does involve political risk for the sake of a small tax on the wealthy. They're going down this path to try and set the ground for a future broad-based approach to taxing super. You'd think so. You'd think so. And once it's in, and once it is, it's in, of course, no other government of any stripe is we'll, going to get we'll ever wind because, it. We'll ever wind it back. No, no. Yeah, in the same way that you've never seen a government, no matter what they might feel about income tax, ever announce that they're going to stop income tax. Yeah. So um, it's there and it's in, and, and it's just a question of how much. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's watch this space, but I think uh, it's being coloured in as we as we speak. Uh, that's right. And coloured, I suppose, too, Hugh, by. <laughs> This kind of fake debate about, you know, oh, well, some people have too much privilege. Of course they do. Of mm. course they do. And and ain't that the truth? There's <laughs> always the rich. You know, the, the poor right. are always with us. The rich are always with us. That's and the right. rich will find other means if the tax structures don't they'll work. They'll find other ways to do it. Mm. No, they'll, they'll just shift it somewhere else. Mm. And, in fact, that's another problem, really, because they'll get about and they'll shift it somewhere else. And even then, the promised uh, benefits you're getting in revenue terms – at least in the short term, may dissipate because they've pulled the money out of that source. They've found something else to do. Mm. Hugh Remington's with us from, uh, here's the National Affairs Editor with 10 News First, uh, with some ruminations on super and a debate that's going to dominate, I suspect, the lead up and the aftermath of the budget too. Now, what else? Oh, the federal government did further stepping up its efforts to improve uh, Australia's protection against cyber threats. This is probably a remote thing for most Australians, I suspect, but the Prime Minister today was chairing a meeting of bureaucrats, intelligence chiefs and business leaders as he looks to create a new role of, quote, coordinator for cybersecurity within the Home Affairs Department. Well, the aim is to ensure a centrally coordinated approach to the government's cybersecurity responsibilities. I suppose the office comes with a tin hat on the back door. It comes in an era of growing concern about foreign power cyber capabilities and the recent serious cyber breaches involving Optus and Medibank, which we all know about. This is the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, speaking today. It's absolutely critical for maintaining trust in our public institutions and our public service. It's critical to maintain confidence in your commercial dealings and also in your intellectual property, which is 
often the foundation of your wealth creation. It's also vital to individuals. Uh, individuals, quite rightly, uh, feel violated uh, when their details are online. It is uh, no different from someone breaking into your house and stealing something from you because it is your property and in some cases it's your identity as well. And we saw with breaches last year, I think an, an increased awareness of just how important this is. Yeah, well, fair enough. I suppose after Medicare, a lot of people in, in Australia, you probably thought, gee, this is just incredibly slack. Has, this, has the country been slack about this? Yeah, so that was Medibank, um, was the, the company on Medicare, which is, which is, I apologise for correcting, but just in case there's any confusion in people's minds. So it was the Medibank hack and then it came pretty mm. much at the same time as the Optus hack. And between the two of those, uh, you're getting into, you know, approaching half the population of Australia was affected by those hacks. It's it's not remote. And so another thing that's not remote, obviously, is people getting scammed out of their money. And, uh, you know, there'd be fewer and fewer people in Australia who haven't fallen for some scam or another. So, uh, you know, there are two very, very broad issues here. One is the foreign interference elements of cyber hacking, which is being done to, uh, you know, people say that we are in a cyber war already with an undeclared cyber war with certain adversaries. And, and this is designed to probe for weaknesses in our systems, but also to reduce um, public trust in institutions, and you heard Anthony Albanese allude to that. I think this is a good measure to have a, a coordinator for these things to step this up because it seemed as if we were caught off balance by what happened at Medibank and at Optus. Um, and uh, so that's one element, is the foreign deliberate effort to destabilise us. The other element is is the criminal, and that goes through two broad uh, strands, one is just straight scams to get money. And this is, you know, people, no one robs banks anymore. If, you, if you've got any smarts, there are lots of ways to scam money, to use mm. large computers, lots of algorithms, spray out scams. If you get a 0.5% hit, you're making a lot of money. And so it's for the money element of it. And then the other one is for data, scouring data, which you can then sell or, um, you know, use for other more sophisticated uh, scams, identity theft, in order to access larger sums of money, because you get through, you know, more, uh, you know, the, the, you, you you get past the cruder security levels, and you have to get caught only by higher level security. So, so we we need to go hard at this. The Australian Cyber Security Centre uh, reckoned that last year cyber crime was costing Australia thirty three billion dollars. That is a swag of cash, and uh, it is. Crime. If you look at the crime statistics, actually, it's pretty interesting. This century, violent crimes uh, as a proportion of population have fallen. Uh, property theft, uh, you know, the break-ins, the car thefts, these things have fallen quite significantly. It's easy, if you don't look at cybercrime, to say we actually live in a much lower crime environment than we did 30 years ago um, because that's borne out by the statistics. You then put in the cybercrime and and – and we have a much more complicated exposure to crime. Mm. All of us do. That is true. Look, just finally speaking of foreign actors acting maliciously on our territory, there have been concerns that foreign interference is being underreported too. And despite warnings mm. from senior intelligence officials and politicians about interference from countries like China, 
and Russia and Iran. The AFP's Assistant Commissioner, Chrissy Barrett, says the campaign they're launching has got some broad scope. We obviously don't target any particular communities and I actually think that that's unhelpful because we do know that foreign interference can look um, completely different, uh, you know, from case to case. So um, we're not in the matter of, uh, I guess, stereotyping because I think that would be unhelpful. Well, maybe. What are you making of it here? Well, I think it's interesting to take her point that they are putting out new uh, community alerts about this in 30 different languages. And the broad thrust of it is to encourage people to understand that um, it is against Australian law to be, um, you know, people are breaking the law if they're surveilling uh, diaspora communities, if they're spying on them or if they're um, trying to hobble the, the free speech of people by making threats mm. against people back in the regime. And it really came to a head with Iran because when the hijab revolution, as sometimes called in Iran, happened, broke out a few months ago uh, with the with the death and custody of a, of a Kurdish Iranian woman for not wearing her hijab properly, and that sparked protests across Iran, the uh, Iranian-Australian population became vocal in, in decrying the human rights abuses within Iran. And then a number of them were, uh, I've spoken to people directly about this, had relatives back in Iran threatened, um, you know, mm. oppressively arrested uh, to try and silence the protest being made here. Now, that is a breach of our law. It's hard to stop it um, because obviously this is happening in another jurisdiction. We can't do, we can't do much about it. But, uh, you know, the, the, what we, we can do is try to empower uh, communities, diaspora communities, to know that they can call a national security hotline um, and, and that, they'll be, that their concerns will be taken seriously. Yeah, indeed. All right, Hugh, uh, always good to talk. Thank you. And you, Phil. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.